The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Santana makes the catch. The Indians have won the American League pennant. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the seventh consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress throughout the 2017 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Happy Fourth of July, everybody, as we head into the Fourth of July holiday tomorrow around our country. Glad to have you along tonight, though, on July 3rd for the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell here on UltimateSportsTalk.com as we bring you for the seventh consecutive season a talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. Over what is now heading into tonight's action, the Indians are off tonight. The Reds are going on a West Coast trip now. They're in Colorado this evening to take on the Rockies. But both teams have reached the 81-game pinnacle of the Major League Baseball season. We are officially halfway through the season, except for the All-Star break will happen next week. Well, in order to talk about the Cincinnati Reds, let's go down and bring in our resident Reds expert down south, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? I'm well, Dave. Hope you're going to have a good holiday, uh, really a four-day weekend. Kind of an unusual thing to have happen, but... Uh, welcomed, and uh, you know both teams. I think at this point, I, I would say, are, are somewhat living up to preseason expectations. I, I can't say that there's a surprise from uh, on the Cincinnati Reds side. You know where they are. I think everybody predicted, and I think where the Indians are, everybody predicted. Although I think there may be a feeling uh, among baseball fans and experts that the Indians perhaps should be further ahead in the American League Central than they are, but based on what I've seen over the last couple of weeks, I think this team is rounding into shape, and with Minnesota falling back, I think the only challenge the Indians have for the rest of the year uh, are the Kansas City Royals, and I think those games will be important as as the Indians play the Royals in the second half of the year, but do you see... Any surprises from either the Reds or the Indians at this point in the season? No, not really. As far as, you know, you get through the first 81 games of the year, Mark, I think for the Indians, you've got to give them a B. Uh, you know, they're, they're not an A ball club as of yet, even though they're starting to play like one. Lonnie Chisenhall, really, I think it's kind of a, we'll get into this here in a little bit. I, I think it's kind of disconcerting that he didn't make the all-star team, but like I said, we'll get into that here in a little bit. But I've got to give the Indians a B. Their starting rotation's been a little fluctuating as far as the first half of the season is concerned, but nonetheless, they're still in first place. They're two games, uh, or excuse me, they're three games up on Kansas City and Minnesota right now. And as you said, Mark, they're, they're starting to round into shape. They're starting to get things going. Jose Ramirez has really done an outstanding job along with Chisholm Hall in the first half of the season, but if you look at the first 81 games for the Reds, Mark, what kind of a grade do you have to give them? Uh, I would say uh, a C plus, maybe a B minus, only because, again, I think they are living up to expectations. Uh, one one thing that strikes me about the Reds, which is kind of unique, you, you know, there are typically four or five 
ways you evaluate a team. You evaluate it in terms of its hitting, its defense, its speed, its relief pitching, and its starting pitching. And on four of those categories, the Reds are at the top or near the top of, of their of the league. It's only their starting pitching that has, you know, doomed this team to last place right now. But the Reds are only seven and a half games out of first place after all that. After a nine game losing streak, uh, after playing really bad ball at the beginning of the year, and I'm not saying they're going to win the division. I'm not even saying they, you know, they could move into second or third, but I wouldn't want to play the Reds. If they get some starting pitching, uh, like they have in the last week or so, they won, what, four out of six. Uh, they won the last two series they played against the Cubs and the Brewers. If they can get some starting pitching, that is not a team that you want to face in September because they're going to score some runs. They've got a good bullpen, and if they can get a pitcher that can keep you in the game into the sixth inning, this team has a chance to be a tough out going down the stretch. So, again, I don't think this is the year for the Reds, but it does bode well going into the future. Well, you're going to want to stick around because I'm going to walk Mark right down the walkway of purgatory in just a little bit as far as the red starting pitching is concerned. But, Mark, in the first 81 games, the Indians finished 44 wins, 37 losses. The Reds, 35 wins, 46 losses. Now, as you said, the Reds are seven and a half games behind Milwaukee, but they're only a game and a half behind Pittsburgh in fourth place in that National League Central. Meanwhile, Cleveland, as we said, they're three games up on Kansas City and Minnesota, but both teams are coming in to today's action, even though the Indians are off, the Reds are playing here just a little bit against Colorado, winning two out of three over the weekend. The Indians won two out of three against Detroit, in Detroit, and the Reds, well, they won two out of three at home against the Cubs, and that's quite an accomplishment. I thought the team played pretty good baseball up until yesterday when they had one bad inning. Yeah, that's what I mean. The, the the Reds, if they get decent starting pitching, and I'm sure you'll cover this statistically, but the Reds lead the league in giving up. They, they lead baseball in giving up home runs. Their ERA, the last I saw, was something around 5.4, uh, and that is, that's not going to win you many games. But despite that, uh, as you said, the Reds are not, they're, they're not, blown out yet there's seven and a half games out and you know you get a five game winning streak and the other the teams above you lose a few games and you're back in it now the, the interesting thing will be between now and the trade deadline which is still uh th- three and a half weeks away mm-hmm. uh what would the reds do if they do get on a hot streak let's say they win uh i don't know 16 out of 20 games and they're only three and a half or, or two and a half games out of first place. What would they do at that point? Would they trade? Would they would they let Zach Cozart go? Would they keep him and try to win? That's going to be an interesting dilemma for this front office if the Reds do get hot, and by the end of July they're only a few games out of first place. I mean this this happened to the Indians not long ago. You know, several years ago they had to face that dilemma. So it's it's it's. <laughs> it's going to be a tough decision, and I'm not sure I could uh, make it with, uh, with, you know, being so assured I was right, because the Reds could be in a position to contend this year if they get hot between now and the end of July. 
Mark, you brought up Zach Cozart. I think Cozart's gone. I think what happened with uh, Trey Turner, the national shortstop, fracturing his left wrist on Saturday, I think that spelled the the trade rumors again for Zach Cozart going to Washington. Mark, I don't think Washington's going to make the same mistake this year that they made three years ago with Steven Strasburg. And you and I talked about it ad nauseum. Washington yep. is up by nine games in that division. They cannot afford this year. This is their best window of opportunity. This is it. They've got yep. to do what they can do to win that division. Yeah, I agree, and, but it's not going to be Washington's decision alone. You know, it may hinge on what the where the Reds are at the end of the month. If the Reds contend, if they, if they get back in this thing, and, and to get back into it, I mean, if you go into August and you're only – three or four games out of first place, you're in it. You know, you have a chance to win the division. And the Reds have to win the division, by the way, to get into the playoffs. The question will be the dice roll. What can the Reds get for Zach Cozart? In my opinion, Washington is not going to give up, you know, a first-round pick or a second-round pick. The Reds are probably going to get a third- or fourth-round guy who's maybe in double-A uh, from Washington for a, for a three-month rental even though that three-month rental might make the difference for Washington making the playoffs. I just don't think the Reds are going to get a lot. And that's that's the conundrum that the Reds face, every team faces. When are you out of it? Now, if, if, if the Reds are ten games out of first place the last week, of this, yeah, I think, he's, I think Cozart's gone, no matter what the Reds can get for him. But, you know, don't forget, if the Reds do lose Zach Cozart, uh from a team signing him, they do get a draft pick, and that may be worth not trading him or not giving him away for for, for nothing. And and by the way, uh, yesterday I read in the local paper here in Dayton that the Reds and Cozart are in negotiations for a long term contract. So I don't know if that'll go anywhere, uh, and maybe they are just saying that as a ploy to get you know more out of a team like Washington or New York or whoever might be interested in Cozart. But I'm not so sure it's a fait accompli that he's gone. That tells me one thing. They're not happy with Peraza at shortstop. Well, I'm not happy with Peraza at shortstop either. Uh, I have never seen a guy, I don't know if you've been watching him of late, I think I've seen just about every game Peraza's played, either in person or uh, on TV. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen a guy who just slaps at the ball like he does. He, he doesn't make any kind of hard contact. It's like he's he, every swing is a defensive swing. He's not going up there with any aggression at all, and I think he's just afraid to strike out. That's you know, and he just slaps at the ball. He has, he does not have his weight behind him. He doesn't he doesn't gather before he swings. He just throws the bat out there, and it's funny. I, I was watching the game the other night, and he did that three or four times in a row, and finally Jeff Brantley said the same thing. He said, I don't know what happened to the Peraza we saw last year. He, he is not, he, he, I, I, I've seen his, um, the way he holds the bat, he doesn't bring the bat back and then forward. All he does is lay the bat out. And that's why you see so many pop-ups on the infield. And I'll bet, Dave, I'll bet you that 40% of his outs are fly balls to the second baseman or the shallow right fielder. He doesn't pull the ball, 
And so if this is what the Reds bargained for and think this is guy, the guy who's going to take over for Cozart at shortstop, I don't, I don't think so. And it may, Mark, in fact, impact the decision the Reds make on Cozart. And his defense has not been anywhere no. near I thought it was going to be either. Now, he's not a shortstop, Dave. He, I think he could be a, a reasonably good second baseman, uh, but he doesn't have the, the range. And that, that's what really gets me is his lack of range. I, I don't know if it's his first step. I mean, the guy's quick. He's fast on the field. But he doesn't seem to get to the ball to his left as well as Cozart does. Maybe Cozart just plays, you know, he, he has better positioning. I don't know. But I've not been impressed by this guy's play this year at all. I don't. He has very little power. He's not going to drive in a lot of runs, and he's not playing stellar defense. I mean, with Billy Hamilton at least, you know you're going to get incredibly good defense in speed. And Peraza, while he has speed, he's not demonstrated a lot of ability on the bases. Well, the All-Star game is next Tuesday night, and this is the first All-Star t- game in a long time, Mark, where home field advantage in the World Series means absolutely nothing to the All-Star game. So what we've got here is an all-star game that's definitely an all-star game. It means absolutely nothing. The Indians have got five players going to the all-star game. One is a starter, and that's Jose Ramirez. And I was really happy that Ramirez ended up being the third-base starter for the team. He's hitting three twenty-five right now, Mark, 15 homers, 42 RBIs. He's got 26 doubles on the season for the Indians. He'll be the starter at third base for the American League. Then four others were named to the American League All-Star team last night. Corey Kluber, 7-2 and with a 302 ERA. He's got 105 strikeouts. Andrew Miller is on the team. Of course, he's 3-2 and in the relief role, a point and a half ERA in 36 games. Seven earned runs is all he's given up this year, Mark, with a .71 whip. Michael Brantley's going to go to the All-Star game with a 303 batting average, five homers, 31 RBIs, and Francisco Lindor got in at shortstop, batting just 248 but 14 homers, 38 RBIs. I was pleased with the Indians Hall, but the one thing, Mark, that I want to discuss is Lonnie Chisholm Hall was not chosen for the American League All-Star team. I sort of get the reasons why However, when you look at what Michael Brantley has done this year, coming back from injuries a year ago, and I gave you his stats, 303 batting average, 5 homers, 31 RBIs, but that pales in comparison to what Chisenhall has done this year. Chisenhall is batting 305 in a full-time basis, 11 homers, which is double what Brantley's got, and 46 RBIs, which is 15 more than what Brantley's got. I'm really disappointed in the fact that the American League managers and players decided to vote Chisenhall in, or Brantley in instead of Chisenhall. Well, I'm not sure it's, that's the decision people made. I, I, I think we've talked about this before regarding the selection process for the All-Star game where every team has to have one representative. And I think that's more the issue where guys like Chisenhall don't get uh, voted in because somebody from every team has to be voted in, and there are some teams during some years that don't have players good enough, their stats aren't good enough to be really in the All-Star game. Right. So, you know, I think that's that's the bigger issue. But, you know, it's a great problem to have when you have five guys elected to the All-Star team from your team, All-Star game from your team, and maybe a sixth one 
should have been picked. That, that that's really saying a lot about the Indians and where they've come in the last three or four years. That that is a sound organization that's got young, good young players, and they're going to be around for a while. And if that's the biggest problem Indian fans have, I don't feel sorry for you. Well, here's the biggest problem that the Reds have. They've got two players that are in the All-Star game. Zach Cozart was finally voted in as the starting National League All-Star, batting three twenty-two, nine homers, 33 RBIs on the year. Joey Votto's going to be a sub, batting three seventeen, twenty-three 23 homers, 53 RBIs. But the major question that the Reds have on their hands right now, again, involves Zach Cozart, and that is, what's the name of the donkey going to be? <laughs> well, if he doesn't name him Joey, then he's missing a bet. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be Joey. That's well, Joey's been known as an ass around Cincinnati for <laughs> a few years, but that's another I'll story. tell you, you know, here's my weekly uh, uh, pledge, not pledge, but spiel about Joey Votto. He, he is the toughest out in baseball. End of story. Uh, I've seen him now the last two or three weeks. His average is up, what, to 317 now. Maybe, I think it's 317. But he'll probably end up around 330, 335. It's likely he's going to hit over 40 home runs, drive in 120 runs, have an on-base percentage of about 475. These are Ted Williams numbers. And this guy is going to get better over the next two or three years because hitters like him will get better. Dave, I watch him every game, and he's a nightmare for pitchers because he fouls off a zillion pitches, and he wears you down, and you finally say, okay, here, here, hit the damn ball. And he does. And he's driving in runs. People say, you know, he doesn't hit for power. Well, he's got 23 home runs, I think 57 RBIs. And this guy right now, he is the consummate hitter. And it's unfortunate that he's playing on a team that nobody nationally is paying attention to. Because if he was in Boston or New York, this guy, they would have him in the Hall of Fame you know, two weeks after he left, he was eligible. He's playing that well. And if there's a better hitter in baseball right now, I can know who it is. So if Zach Cozart ends up being traded to Washington before the All-Star game, let's say by next Monday, does Joey still have to buy the donkey? Oh, sure. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, He's not going into the All-Star game as a red. No, but there are donkey rules. <laughs> this is a donkey rule. Ah, and, here we go. Uh, you know, th- th- this is not a baseball rule. So if he if he made the pledge, it, it's because Zach Cozart made the all-star team. There was no provision as to what team. But you bring up a good point. You know, if, if you're Washington, and let's say, and I think you're right, I think they're not going, I think they're going to go after a shortstop. Why would you wait until July 31st? You know, why would you, you know, you have a nine-game lead, and maybe because you don't have a good shortstop, you wait three more weeks, and now you've got a five- or six-game lead. Wouldn't it make sense that they would trade for Zach Cozart this afternoon and, and put him at arguably the most important defensive position on the field and try and maintain that nine-game lead? Yeah, but then you've got the Reds who are saying, well, we could just wait till the 31st of July. Yeah, I know. That's my point. Is though, if you're if you're going to have a team that is going to go for it, okay, then sweeten the pot. Give the Reds what they want. Maybe it's more than you think you should. Maybe more than Cozart is worth. But you know, you and I have talked about this for the last four years. 
when they didn't pitch Strasburg in, in the in the playoffs, that could have cost them a world championship. And I think if they tried something like that again this year, the fans would tear that stadium down. So if I'm Washington, I'm doing what you say. I'm saying, let's go get Cozart today, put him at shortstop, and ensure the fact that we're going to get into the playoffs because I'm not sure they get to the playoffs without – I mean, Cozart, he's not just a shortstop. He's a damn good shortstop. He hits with power. He's hitting with average. He's very good defensively. He's not spectacular, but he doesn't make errors. He's just – he's a very solid guy. And and don't forget, he has a relationship with Dusty Baker. Bingo. And I think that is that that would be huge. And Zach would have a chance to win a World Series ring. So this seems like a no-brainer to me. But if Washington waits around, and let, let's say they do – cough up three or four games between now and the end of July, and then they come after Cozart. Well, if I'm the Reds, I'm saying, you know what? The price just went up. Now you have to have my guy. So there's a little cat and mouse going on right now. Who blinks first, you know, Washington or Cincinnati? But uh, if I'm Washington, I give the Reds what they want, and I try and win a World Series in 2017. I, I absolutely agree with you. I think it's paramount that Washington shoot for the moon this season because as they learned three, four years ago with Strasburg, these times are not guaranteed to you. And what they need to do, Mark, is that I agree with you. They cannot afford to sit around and wait for Atlanta, Philadelphia, or the Mets to catch up to them and or them to come back to the pack and really worry about things. And, and their bullpen and their infield defense right now, Mark, is not exactly the most stellar thing in Major League Baseball. They've got problems on their infield defense. They've got major problems in their bullpen. So they can't afford to sit there with a nine-game lead and say, we've got this thing won. They need to be proactive rather than reactive, like you're saying, and go out and get somebody that's going to help solidify this division. You know, what was amazing to me when the Reds were playing Washington at the time last week Washington had more blown saves than the Reds did. I think they had 13 blown saves. For a team in first place by nine games, that's hard to believe. So if I'm Washington, I look at the Reds, and I see their bullpen. Now, there's a guy pitching really well in the Reds' bullpen right now, and you team him up with Cozart, and then you make a real big deal with Washington. I would, If I was Washington, I would ask for Tony Singrani. He's throwing, he was throwing 97, 98 yesterday. This is the fourth or fifth time he's been out there. He's healthy. He's throwing well. And if I could get Sangrani and Cozart, I would give the Reds uh, a lot for those two guys who could take me into the World Series and not just get me to the playoffs, but get me to the World Series. And i, I, I got to believe that if a deal is going to be made with Washington, it may include a bullpen guy, and the Reds have a bullpen guy. Their bullpen's pretty good, and along with Cozart. And I don't know who Washington has that the Reds would want, but if I'm Washington, that's where I go shopping. Well, and here's the problem. Washington is killing their fans, almost literally. I was going to save this story till later on in the show, but you, you just segued right into it perfectly, so I'll just bring it up now. Did you hear about the obituary for one of the Nationals fans, Patrick Killebrew? No, I did not. Patrick Killebrew 
is down in Florida, but he had the Major League Baseball Network, watched the Nationals games all the time, age 68. He died peacefully in his sleep, Mark, on June 20th after watching Washington's bullpen the night before on the 19th blow a six-run lead against the Miami Marlins. So in his obit, Killebrew asked that this be put in to his obit. They asked, his family asked for donations. Instead of flowers, they asked for donations to be sent to the Nationals bullpen. Oh, that's that, that's great. That, that that's a true baseball fan. Now the question is, the question is, how the Nationals respond? And if I if I'm in the in the Nationals bullpen, and I'm sitting there reading this thing, I'm thinking, my God, I blew a save and I killed a guy. I mean, that, that's that's pretty tough. But you know, the, the point you bring up about these teams striking when the iron is hot. When you've got a chance to win, and, and, and I, I bring up th- that point to emphasize what's happened with the Chicago Cubs this year. The Reds just took two of three from the Cubs, and the Cubs are not the same team. And I can't put my finger on it, but they're not the same team. You know, they lost Schwarber. Uh, they lost the guy they traded, the center fielder, to St. Louis. And you, when you lose pieces like that, it does impact the team. They just lost Montero, their catcher, over a stupid thing he did with a starting pitcher that was stealing a lot of bases. So there's there's something wrong with that team, and the team that was supposed to you know win five or six world championships in a row—that's what you heard out of Chicago last year. That's not going to happen. I I do not think the Cubs are going to win the division, not the way they're playing now. Now, you talk about a team like Washington that could go out and make trades. I think the Cubs are going to do that. I think they're going to look around. Their starting rotation has been beat up. Lester and Lackey have not been pitching well. And they may go out and, and get a starter, I mean a big-name starter. They could go get Johnny Cueto uh, because the Giants are out of it. So you, you never know what can happen. But the Cubs got the money to go out there and do something dramatic like that and give this team another chance because I do not think they're going to if they stay if they stay in pat I don't think this team is going to win the division. Well, now's the opportunity for me to walk Mark right down the path of purgatory as we talk about some of the Reds starting pitching. Mark, I want to bring up the fact I want to ask your opinion. And I think if you go the direction that I think you're going to go in, uh we're we're going to have a little bit of a debate here. Your thoughts on Homer Bailey so far? <laughs> well, my thoughts on Homer Bailey uh, are that, number one, the Reds made a horrific financial decision several years ago when they signed this guy to a seven-year contract for uh, nearly $100 million. Uh, number two, and it's, I hate to, to impute an attitude that somebody exhibits. But the attitude Homer Bailey exhibits is he's above it all. Oh, he, boy, that, does he. That he doesn't care. That he, uh, okay, fine, I'll go out there and throw. If I get hit, I get hit. Uh, he, he doesn't, I, I don't like the guy's perception, and I could be wrong. Maybe inside it's eating him up. It doesn't look that way. Uh, 
So those are the things I feel that as a fan I look at. You brought this up three or four months ago. Why don't the Reds start Homer Bailey in the bullpen and bring him out, let him pitch a couple of innings, and, you know, and get his feet wet, you know, check the velocity, check the, 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 the depth of, of his breaking ball before you send him out there. They, he didn't get beat. He got hammered. Yes. He's got an ERA of, what, 27? 27 right now. Yeah, he, he's, he's gotten hammered. He's nowhere near ready to face big league hitters. So why would Brian Price put him out there twice knowing he's not ready? I, I don't understand it. And then it, maybe because he's pitched so poorly, I get the impression that he doesn't give a damn. That's what gets me. And he feels he's guaranteed a spot because he's being paid a lot of money. And then Brian Price does two stupid things this year. He, he brings Bronson Arroyo in, and he brings Homer Bailey in, and neither are ready to face major league hitters. So you're now you're comparing Homer Bailey with Bronson Arroyo in terms of performance, yeah. So, you, so are you of the opinion that Homer Bailey should stay in the starting rotation, or no. should he go to the bullpen? He should go to the bullpen. Why would you give him another start? Based on a I guy, well, yeah, we agree on that. But I think you said early on he should have started in the bullpen Correct. and then earned his way into the starting rotation. And I agree with that. And if, if okay, say he gives up eight runs in, in, in a relief role when you're already down ten to two, so what? At least he's getting his feet wet. He's getting back into the major leagues, and, and that I understand. But why would you just throw away two games like this? where Homer Bailey, the Reds were defeated in the first two innings every time he pitched. But he'll get a third start. I bet you he's out there again in three so, days. So why am I not hearing the same type of uproar from Reds fans after two starts that Homer Bailey has made when they were totally up in arms after two starts that Bronson Arroyo made on his first two starts of the year. Because let me tell you what Bronson Arroyo did in his first two starts. He was 1-1 one one with a 7 ERA, a 1.59 whip. Bailey, as you said, 0-2, a 27 ERA, and a 3.64 whip. Both of them are coming back after two years off with arm injuries. The the only The only discerning characteristic between these two is the fact that Bailey's throwing 92, 93, 94 miles an hour, whereas Bailey barely ever tipped the jugs gun at 84, 85. That's the only discerning problem between these two, only difference between these two. So why was there such an uproar after two starts that Bronson Arroyo should be taken out of the out of the starting rotation? He's a curse. He's terrible. He can't, he can't do it anymore. And Homer Bailey's given the benefit of the doubt. Well, I, I don't know what, what you're hearing or where you're hearing it, but I go to uh, Red Lake Nation quite a bit uh, to get kind of the, the pulse of the fans, uh, guys who really follow the game. And I see a lot of uproar on both. That Homer Bailey, he was not ready to come back. And that's what, is, you know, Brian Price says his stuff is good enough to pitch, you know, to pitch in the big leagues. 
But it's more than stuff. You have high school kids throwing 94 miles an hour. So what? It, with big league hitters, it's more than just velocity. Uh, there, there's a lot more that goes into it. But what I saw from Homer Bailey, the other night he gave up three home runs uh, in, in the first, I think, first two innings. And Dave, he was throwing the ball right down the middle of the plate. Yeah. No movement. And no movement. No no location. And I don't know if he, he was just, you know, he's lost the touch of that or it takes more, which I understand. I'm not, I'm not saying that he can't come back someday and do it. I'm saying why put him out there in a situation, a starting rotation where the Reds are down eight runs in the bat of an eyelash, uh, and you know it, it makes no sense to keep throwing him out there when he's not ready. What? And you're the one who said, why not start him in the bullpen? Let him pitch an inning or two. And, and get his confidence back, get his location back, get to feel the mound, all that stuff. I agree. And this is where I blame Brian Price. There, there is no way an objective observer could look at Homer Bailey and say he's ready. But the same thing could have been said about Bronson Arroyo. And how many starts did he have? Twelve starts? He got yeah, clocked. So. He got clocked every time. Are you kidding why would you throw him out there on the seventh start when the first six starts he gets hammered? And that, that's what that comes back to the manager. That is his call. And if you if you're telling me you don't have anybody better, then look at what happened on Saturday. The Reds went down and got this the Stevens guy who Jackson came in. Jackson Stevens. Uh, Jackson I Stevens. To never to, heard to of talk him. Talk about him too. Yeah, yeah. And he's he's not a Roger Clemens. He, you know, maybe someday he will be. But he came in and did a, a workman-like job on Saturday, and he got himself the win. He pitched five innings, gave up three runs. Okay, that keeps you in the game. But but to throw out Homer Bailey and Bronson Arroyo when you know together those guys must have an ERA of, what, 14 over uh, now 17 or 18 starts or whatever it was combined, that, it makes no sense. So Here's my, here's my thoughts on Stevens. I was very impressed with the way this kid pitched. He did not just get up here and throw the ball, Mark. He had a game plan. He Evidently, he set one up with the pitching coach and with the catcher, and they devised a game plan that was to his benefit. If you notice in the first couple innings, Mark, he didn't throw a breaking pitch. He stayed with his fastball, went inside, outside, up and down, all over the place. What impressed me the most was his approach towards Anthony Rizzo and that he busted him inside on every pitch until he finally struck him out. And, you know, I was impressed with the fact that this kid, 24 years old, comes up to the major leagues, and he's got the guts to throw inside to a to an all-star in Anthony Rizzo. I was impressed with the kid. Is he going to be a sticker? I don't know. But for a first start, I thought the kid did a pretty good job of pitching, not just throwing. Yeah, that, that's a really good point, and, and I liked his location as well. He, he was spotting his fastball, and you don't have to throw 100 miles an hour. It's nice if you can, but if you can't spot it, so what? But what a difference between what he did and what Homer Bailey did. Homer Bailey was throwing every pitch right over the middle of the plate, yeah. and it, that's being there's a term for that. It's called being wild in the zone. And when you're wild in the zone, that means you're not controlling where your strikes go. Yeah, you can throw it right over the middle of the plate. And, and it, I remember when I pitched, I didn't, ha- I did not have good control in the zone. I could throw it pretty hard, 
but I couldn't I couldn't hit the corners like a real good pitcher could. And you know, you throw hard, it doesn't matter. Guys are going to nail it, and that's what happens. They get they get used they get velocitized, they get used to the the speed of a pitch, and it doesn't matter how hard you throw. But with Stevens the other day, he what I liked about him too, he was throwing that fastball in the outside corner. Not over the middle of the plate, but in the outside corner. He was getting the calls against the right-hand hitters. So that made his breaking ball even better because they thought it was a fastball and it would break off the plate. And he got some really bad swings with that breaking ball. So, yeah, I, I don't think he's going to be, you know, a, a number one starter anywhere. But he no. could be a, a usable number four, number five starter uh, in this team maybe next year. But uh, apparently they're going to bring him back up and he's going to get a second start next week, I think. I, I, I hope so. I, I think the kid deserved it. it. Yeah, he earned it. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. How about Louis Castillo? Thought, I thought he's done a pretty good job over two starts. You know, he reminds me. I mean, he, he reminds me of a young Johnny Cueto. Uh, he's got the same body build. He, he's a little more slender than Cueto. But I tell you, this guy—he was throwing 100 miles an hour in the in the fifth inning, and mm-hmm. he, he has that effortless motion. And you know, it doesn't look like he's the kind of guy that's going to get a lot of arm trouble. He's not—he doesn't throw across his body. He's got a repeatable motion. And what I liked about everything I saw is what I heard the next day from the Reds players that they came when they took him out of the game. Apparently, they came to the mound and they told Brian Price, "Like, wow, this kid has got some serious gas. This kid's got some stuff." And when your teammates talk that way about a player, you can believe it. A lot of times you'll hear the organization hype a guy. But when the players step up and say, man, this dude, he's got some gas, uh, that's good to hear. And uh, that's exciting that the Reds have somebody like that. And, again, he's a young kid. I mean, he he, he could be around for a while. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he, he definitely is. Mark, two pitchers that – are kind of going in opposite directions for the Indians are Corey Kluber and Josh Tomlin. I'm going to make a statement right here and now. Corey Kluber's the best pitcher in Major League Baseball right now, today. Best pitcher in Major League Baseball. I don't think there's any doubt. Yeah, I'm trying to come up with an argument. Uh, I can't think of one. Uh, you know, Kershaw would normally, you know, it's amazing about Kershaw. Uh, he's given up 19 home runs this year, which is a stunning number when you think about Clayton Gershaw. But he's still winning. But, you know, you look around the the countryside here, and it's hard to pick out a pitcher that you would take. If you had one start to win one game, who you would pick, and it would probably be Kluber. To me, that's that's the definition. If you're a manager, okay, i got to win this game today. i got to win it. Who do I want? But right now, it's probably Kluber. Yeah, you know what brought me to that revelation is the fact that ESPN had a poll, and I'm glad you brought that up. They, they brought out the top eight pitchers in baseball. Kluber was a part of it, so was Kershaw, and they said, if you had one game to win, who would you pick? And 38% of them went with Kershaw. Only 19% went with Kluber. And I said, there's nobody out there in that list of eight, and I can't remember who the who the rest of the pitchers were. I mean, Chris Sale was one. Uh Matter of fact, uh, Madison Baumgartner was one, and he hasn't pitched since, what, the second week of the season? Yeah. And and he's on this list. But there, there is not a pitcher out. Mark, Clayton Kershaw, 
up until last year, had not won a postseason game. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. Uh, even when he's pitching well, he doesn't pitch well in the playoffs, and I don't know why, because it seems like his stuff is as unhittable during the playoffs, but he always gets hammered. And he, maybe it's psychological, I don't know. But <clears throat> that question, if I was going to answer that question, it wouldn't be just who is pitching well that day, the question is asked. I'd look back. How does a pitcher respond to big game pressure? Right. And not, not all pitchers, you know, do that. They, they don't step up and, and, and perform well. So, yeah, I think Kluber has proved himself in the playoffs. He's proved himself uh, during the regular season. And I, I haven't seen him pitch this year, frankly. I saw him pitch last year twice. And he, his breaking ball is as unhittable a pitch as I have seen recently. Uh, when he's got that breaking ball going, <laughs> it, it breaks so sharply and it breaks so late. He's awfully hard to hit. So I, I can't argue with you. I, I can't think who I would rather have on the mound at any given day than Corey Kluber. Mark, in, in three innings against Detroit the other night, the Indians ended up getting beat in the ball game. But it, in three innings that Corey Kluber threw, he got nine consecutive outs and threw 21 pitches in well, three innings. When, when you go up there with Kluber, you know he is a control pitcher in, in addition to having great stuff. He doesn't walk a lot of guys. And I remember seeing, I, I, I don't know where I saw this, uh, but he had a, a streak going of first strike pitches. First pitch mm -hmm. strikes, I guess mm -hmm. is a better way to say it, where he always starts off with a strike. So he, he tries to get ahead of the hitter, and if you're a hitter, you know that. So you have a lot of guys going up there. You don't, you do not want to get behind in the count with Kluber with that breaking ball. Because he throws it from about three different angles, different depths. He throws it down around your ankles. It's awfully hard to hit. It looks like a fastball. So, the rationale is, okay, I don't want to strike out, so I'm going to swing early in the count, which feeds right into a guy like Kluber who's got not only great stuff, but he's got great control. He may throw you a strike, but it's going to be awfully hard to hit that strike or hit it solidly, and that's why he's so effective. You know, here's another thing. You talk about streaks. Justin Verlander, Detroit's ace, he had his streak broken yesterday against the Indians. He had not gone a game, Mark, in a decade since September of 2007 was the last time Justin Verlander pitched in a game where he did not strike out at least one person. He didn't strike anybody out yesterday against the Indians. Nobody Yeah, going yeah, six innings. I think you mentioned last week that you heard that Verlander <clears throat> was on the trading block. But would you take that contract <laughs> with a guy that I think is – you know, he's clearly not as effective as he was three or four years ago. I don't know if there's any gas left in the tank or not. But how do you get rid of Verlander? I, that, that's a tough one. I think the Cubs are the most likely. You know, I think the Cubs are going to end up with either Verlander or Cueto. That's who I think the, the Cubs are going to end up with. Well, they they could go after both. But, they could. It, it, you know, it could be if they di if they did – it would be that they don't believe Lester and Lackey uh, have it anymore. 
I mean, those guys I don't think getting... Lackey's got it. But I don't know about Lester, but I don't think Lackey's got it. Yeah, I mean, Arietta is another one that's a head case. Yeah, but he, he yesterday I saw him pitch yesterday, and he pitched really well. I mean, he he looked like he had it back against a pretty good hitting team in the Reds. He shut him down over seven innings with one, only one hit. Uh, but if that team is going to repeat, like, like I said, they cannot stand Pat. Not with that starting rotation. They've got a right. good bullpen. Uh, they got enough offense, although I think the offense is down considerably from last year. Uh, but that's a different that's a different Chicago Cub team. And you know they lost their catcher. Who was the guy last year? Their their, their catcher, the former Red uh, Ross. Uh, and he was a leader in that team, and they lost Montero. So they lost their first two catchers. Uh, that's not easy to, re- easy to replace. And But that team has enough money that they can go out there and, and, and easily win the division if they're willing to invest because the division is beating the hell out of each other, and I, I see that continuing the rest of the year. Could Ross return? I doubt it. No, I, I don't think he will. He's, hey, uh, he's he, in great he did, shape. He, he was on Dancing with the Stars. I was going to say, uh, if, if you include uh, being able to dance as part of your off-season regime, uh, maybe. But, uh, you know, when, when you lose Montero, you, you, you figure some Cub fans are certainly uh, thinking about that. I, I thought about that. Would he come back? Would David Ross come back and, and, you know, pick up where Montero left off? Let's talk about Montero a bit. Um, well, before do you we think. Do. Let me what? let me let me say okay. this about dancing with the stars. Okay. It's it's great for the body, but evidence in point, Rick Perry, obviously not great for the mind. Other than that, now let's move on to Montero. <laughs> okay. Do you think the Cubs were justified in what they did? Yes, I, I think they were, and especially when I heard that Rizzo came out and said they were tired of Montero complaining about everything. And uh, the the players were just sick of it. And I think, you know, I had also heard that this was Theo Epstein's way of shaking the team up, getting them out of the doldrums that they were. Now, obviously, it hasn't helped to the point where, you know, they lost two out of three in Cincinnati after they made this move with Montero. But then again, look, Mark, where's Montero at right now? Probably Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, no, nobody's nobody's jumping on his bandwagon to get him. Nobody's trying yeah. to pick him up. Well, yeah, and in fairness to him, he's got a fourteen million dollar contract. I mean, he, he can wait. He doesn't. He's not going to starve, that's for sure. But there's something to be said about a catcher like that because the catcher is always supposed to be kind of the the silent, strong leader on the team, and David Ross certainly was that last year. But David Ross produced too. He was still mm-hmm. solid behind the plate, and he hit, he got some big hits. He's got some big hits in the in the series. Yeah, he did. So you know that that's that's a guy that I'm sure Cub fans are looking at as hey, he can come in and help save the day. But that that team had lost a lot from the roster, more than statistics. A lot of solid players left that roster, and that's not the same team. But again, when you got as much money as they do. Uh, they're going to be able to go out and get what they want. And I think you're right. I think Cueto and or Verlander added to that rotation, and the Cubs will repeat them. Mark, here before we get into another question I had about the Reds, I want to go into the other pitcher that I wanted to talk about with the Indians, and that's Josh Tomlin. I've been a very big supporter of Josh Tomlin's 
throughout the years. I think Tomlin has been an innings eater with the exception of the season that he lost because of Tommy John surgery. I think Tomlin's a pitcher, not a thrower. I think he's always had to be because he doesn't have the monster fastball that, that most pitchers have. He's a Texas guy. He's tough. He wants to stay out there each and every game and, and finish each and every game, even though he doesn't have the capabilities of doing that. He's your prototypical number four or five starter for a ball club. I think on a Reds team, he would probably be your number three starter, not anywhere near the ace or the number two starter as as a ball club. But that being said, Tomlin just has had his problems this year. He's 3-8 and eight on the season. He's got an ERA that's close to 7. I think the Indians right now, they've got to look at this situation, Mark, and say, hey, he, he can't do it right now. We've got a kid in Mike Clevenger that pitched, pitched a two-hitter against Detroit yesterday. Came close to pitching a no-hitter two weeks ago against Minnesota. Struck out nine against Minnesota in that ball game. Clevenger's a kid that's 24 years old and deserves a shot at the Major League roster, and now he's getting it. He's making the most of his opportunity. You know, I hate to see Josh Tomlin go. I don't think bullpen is best suited for him, but I think he's a pitcher, Mark, that to the right situation, I think he could really be an addition via a subtraction. I I just I don't know what the Indians are going to do with this kid. Kid, I'd say he's a kid. He's 31 years old. I still think he's got a future in baseball. He can be a very, very good innings eater, but I don't think that future is with the Cleveland Indians. Well, I, I think you know Tomlin better than I. I. I saw him pitch a couple times last year. I saw him pitch once this year. To me, he, he, his stuff looks good. It, it, I don't understand why he's getting hit as hard as he's getting hit. Maybe the, the, the teams have figured him out, but is he a candidate more for the bullpen than he is as a, start, as a starter for the Indians? You know, what was funny was last year Trevor Bauer did the same thing. He went through something like this. The Indians put him in the bullpen early in the year, and he worked his way through it. Matter of fact, if you recall, there was a game in Toronto during the regular season that Bauer came out of the bullpen and pitched seven innings of a 19-inning ball game against Toronto that the Indians ended up winning that game. I, I, if I recall... I don't remember how long the winning streak was last year. I think it was 14. But that was the 14th win in a row that the Indians had achieved, and then the next day they got beat. But that was really the turnaround for Trevor Bauer. Josh Tomlin, I'm not sure he's the type of guy that you can bring out of the bullpen because Bauer and Salazar, who they've tried this with now also, you know, they've got that explosive fastball. They've got a breaking pitch that breaks off the table. Tomlin's got a good breaking ball, but he relies mainly on location. And if his location is not pinpoint, he gets hurt. And the problem with Tomlin this year has been when he makes a mistake, he pays for it. And he's just not a pitcher that's able to pitch through mistakes, and that's been his problem. Can he pitch out of the bullpen? I'm not sure. I really don't know if he can or not because he's never had to do it. I think he's going to find out right now that he's going to have to pitch out of the bullpen for the Cleveland Indians for the rest of the season because I don't know how you take Mike Clevenger out of this starting rotation. Do you think the Indians may go after Verlander or Cueto? No. No, I don't see them doing anything that big. 
I, I could see them going after a team's three or four starter uh, to put them in at the four or five spot for the, for them, but I don't see them going after an ace. Uh, I mean, if Salazar right now, he's he's about ready to come back. He's been on the DL now for a couple of weeks. He's about ready to come back. Bauer is doing his typical Trevor Bauer stuff, where the early in the year he just stinks, and then all of a sudden he just picks it up and goes. I mean, he, he could really be an ace for a team if he ever gets his head screwed on straight. But then the Indians have got Kluber and Carrasco. And you've said it time and time again, if the Indians have Carrasco in the World Series last year, they win it. And and that's where they're at right now. They've you know, they've got Clevenger, they've got Bauer, they've got Carrasco, they've got Kluber, and if they could slide somebody into that fifth spot, whether it be Tomlin or whomever, then they're going their their rotation is set throughout the rest of the year and their hitting is starting to come around. So the only thing I'm saying is I think we've probably this is the beginning of the end for Josh Tomlin in Cleveland. I could see that happening right now. Well, it's, Which is the Indians have the the luxury of having such depth in their starting rotation that uh you know you have a guy like Tomlin who is clearly your number 5 starter and and you can still survive. And again, with with the Indians as opposed to the Cubs, uh, they may have to make do. That's why I asked you the question: Would they go after Cueto or uh, Verlander? Here's uh, a guy that I answer... could see the Indians going after. Who? You're going to think I'm nuts, but I could see them going after Bartolo Colon. Uh, I, I don't see that. I mean, I I, I I could see that happening and sliding him into that number five spot in the rotation. Well, that I, part I, I, I could see. I can't imagine that that he would be a selection over Tomlin. Um, he's he's. I don't think he brings much to the table at this point. I admire the guy. What is he? Forty five years old, and he's still pitching in the big leagues, or was until last month. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think he's the answer. I think there, there was a time the Indians might have done that, but they 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 have an obligation to their fans that, that that team can get back to the World Series. And I think that they go sign somebody. It's going to be somebody who can help them and who's a, who's a solid starter and somebody we're probably not even thinking of right now. But you know, you, you look at um, some of the pitchers for the Athletics. Uh, teams are out of it. The Giants. Uh, it, there are spots there on that, those rotations where the Indians can go out and, and, and get somebody to come in. And I, I think it's more now with the Indians. They don't want to just make it to the playoffs again. They, they want to win the World Series. And that's a different mindset when you're looking for people mm-hmm. to come in and help your team. And, the, and when you have, like you said, like Washington, the Indians are good enough to win the World Series. So I don't see they're going to go out there and sign a Bartolo Colon. Mark, you made a comment right at the end of the show last week about Brian Price and the Reds manager. You're, I know you've talked over the last couple of weeks that you think Brian Price is probably doomed as the Reds manager. So let's make you, let's make you Dick Williams for an afternoon. If you're going to let Brian Price go, who's on your wish list as manager of the Reds? I think it has to be somebody internal who knows that, knows the players. Um, and I, I don't know if it's going to be Jim Riggleman. I think you, you get much of what you have with Brian Price and Jim Riggleman. He's a good statistic, you know, bench coach. I think he's fine for that. Uh, if the Reds did go outside, I think they'd go out and get somebody young. And I don't know who that would be. 
but you have so many young players on that team. I think it's hard to bring in a 65, 70-year-old guy to relate to you know a bunch of young 20-year-olds that are on that roster right now. So if the Reds did make a move, and, and I just don't think Brian Price is a strategic manager like I'd like to see. And the decisions he's made on the pitching, given the fact he's a pitching coach, I just don't get and I hate to harp on this Arroyo and and Bailey thing, but it is so it's so apparent in those situations. So I don't think he's the guy that's going to take them to the promised land. Uh, I think he's a valuable asset on any organization, that, you know, in some capacity. But I don't think he's the guy. So who is it going to be? I have no idea. But I I, I hope it will be, be somebody internally. Does the Shields have a shot? Maybe. Um, you know, he's, he, he may be too outspoken for the conservative Reds. I mean, he said some things that, that I don't disagree with. But, you know, he's the one who really ripped Robert Stevenson. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that's the guy you need, that, you know, he doesn't pull any punches. And I like that. You know, I personally like it, but the Reds are so conservative, and Castellini is so conservative. You know, I don't see him taking a chance on somebody like Delano DeShields, although I think... He's a great baseball guy, and I think the players would like him in some capacity. But, you know, he's not going to take any crap. He's not going to take any, you know, a guff from these players because he was a good player himself, and, uh, you know, you can't – you're not going to BS him. So uh, would he be a good choice? Yeah, I think he would, but he may not be a good choice for the Reds. I'm going to throw out a name that I think would be an absolute home run for the Reds, Sandy Alomar, Jr., well, I think he'd, he'd be, be an outstanding for a lot manager of people. for the Reds. Yeah. I think he would, too, but he'd be a, a good manager for a lot of people. You know, I don't know why he's not, you know... Me either. ...more sought after. He, he seemed to have all the, the boxes checked. I mean, he's well-respected. He was a good player. He He's smart. Uh, you know, that's, that, that's a good suggestion. And I, I just wonder, is there something when I when I see a guy like that is so obvious, or what don't we know? Is yeah. my first, you know, my, my first question. Now I didn't know about Montero, you know, as an example. I didn't know he was a pain in the ass, you know, to his teammates. But if that's the case, you know, maybe there's something about uh, Sandy we don't know. But from all outward appearances, I think that's be a, a really good selection. Okay, one one word answer. Because we're running short on time. I'm going to make a prediction. We will not see Brandon Finnegan or Robert Stevenson in a Reds uniform on the mound pitching for the Reds until next year. Agreed. I just don't think there's any way the Reds are going to mess around with Stevenson anymore. And Finnegan is out until September anyway, so why even bother? I agree. You, okay. you wanted a one answer, one word answer. I gave it to you. <laughs> you gave me two. I agree. Okay. Two words. Yeah, that's all right. Mark, what do the Reds have coming up the rest of this week? Well, they got Colorado for four games on the West Coast, out in Colorado. Then they go into the West Coast, or not the West Coast, but West to Arizona. And I tell you, this this Colorado series, you could see a lot of home runs in this four game series. I'm going to predict at least uh, you know 20 home runs are going to be hit in that four game series. Yeah, the Reds have already 
bolstered their bullpen by bringing up Asher Wojciechowski. So they're they're ready to go. They've got him back in the bullpen. For the Indians, they've got a six-game homestand going into the All-Star break. They play San Diego tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Detroit this weekend at home, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We'll talk about the All-Star game next Monday night, Mark. Have a good one, David. You too. That's going to do it. Happy 4th of July to everyone. Our thanks to you for listening here tonight. Be sure to join us again next week for another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. For Mark Donahue, I am Dave Mitchell. Be sure to join us again next Monday night at 9 o'clock with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Until then, have a good week, everybody, and a happy 4th of July.